if you want one, you will. I mean, we are preaching from the Bible, but you know most of you the Lord's Prayer, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of on safe ground. But if you need one, uh, you can have one. Um, and we worked through, didn't we, the Lord's Prayer? So I just want to say a few things tonight on, on a passage that is in the Bible, but not in the passage. And you'll see what I mean when we get to it. But let me read these words of Jesus as his followers at that, all those, all those years ago asked him, well, how should we pray? And this is what he said. We're in Matthew 6, verse 9. He answered them, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when we say that in church, we then go on to say, don't we? And there's a little footnote in your Bibles. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But it's not written in that prayer, you see. So we're going to look at that. Um, But we are going to talk about, uh, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Um, And we're talking about God. It's his, isn't it? It's not my, mine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, although he he kind of shares that with us. It's not mine to own. It's his. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the final part of what we know is the Lord's Prayer. Because if we said that and I didn't have the Bible out, we would finish it. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, But it doesn't uh, appear in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. And as a result, like ours, most modern translations placed it, as ours does, as a footnote. But it's worth looking at for a number of reasons. It appears that it was a very, very early addition to the Lord's Prayer. It was almost certainly used by the church within a hundred years of Jesus giving the prayer to the disciples. Uh, Jewish prayers of Jesus' time generally ended with some sort of blessing to God. Um, So it's probable that Jesus expected his followers to conclude the prayer with words similar to these. But why? Why do you think that is? If you, if you think about it, if we look at the Lord's Prayer, why do you think we want to end it with this positive note? For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you look at the prayer, why do you think it is? It comes straight after verse 13, or when we say our prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We'd finish on the devil. And who wants to finish there? Nobody. Otherwise we finish with evil. And of course we know by the cross that that, that the devil was defeated and Jesus has the victory. So therefore Satan does not get the last word. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. God does. And it seems unlikely that they would end the prayer on a downbeat note of protect us from evil, therefore not letting the devil have the last word. Uh, And this ending... Uh, which they included very early on, takes us back from spiritual warfare to praise. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. A way that all our prayers probably ought to end, which is one of confidence and of power and of glory. Not ours, but his. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Confident, expectant praise, which then puts all of our prayers in perspective. All these things we've just uh, collated together, the concerns. Uh, but also we see answered prayer. We collate all of them. We put them in their right perspective because thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So I want to uh, look at that. And first of all, let's look at the kingdom. 
the kingdom, which should be the priority of our life. Seek first the kingdom. We did the Sermon on the Mount, didn't we? Finished it today. And we remember the NRSV was strive first for the kingdom, which uh, is, the, is a better rendering of the original meaning. It means do something about it. Don't just look for it. You can be part of that. Seek first the kingdom. And in recent history, uh, we've had US elections. That was fun, wasn't it? Uh, all sorts of accusations going on. You know, it's like a Mission Impossible film, isn't it? The Russians affected uh, the vote and everything else, and whatever it is. And, and now he's, uh, he's been going for over 100 days, and there's kind of what's working and what's not. And we're all still a bit uh, confused. French elections today, all over the news. French elections, what's going to happen? And then, of course, our elections are coming up. So the world changes, doesn't it? The world changes. And we might think the kingdom... Uh, is all about these rulers and they're, they're, they've got ultimate control in heaven. God's rule and reign is forever. God's kingdom is forever. It's an awesome thought when you think about it. God's kingdom is forever. Forever. And all these politicians will come and go. So will we. We will go. In a very short space of time when you look at the whole of history, I won't be too depressing. And if you're a Christian, you know where you're going, which is good news. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We don't have anything to worry about. But it's an awesome thought that God's kingdom is forever. Everything else, all worldly powers, business empires, political regimes, they will pass away, but the kingdom of God will go on forever. And it's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. And when he says, seek first the kingdom, or strive for the kingdom, he's telling us to do that. It's going to last forever, so strive for it now. Be part of it. Now you have to say, you go into supermarkets, well, I do, and uh, I'm not good in supermarkets. I, I tend to pick stuff, so oh, we should try that, and then we don't. And, uh, and uh, you know, Andrew doesn't let me do it too often. But you go in a supermarket, and there's thousands of brands, isn't there? So many brands. Unless you go into one of the cheaper ones, you get the own brand. Uh, but there's thousands of brands, or TV channels. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember only three, right? And which started at midday. And that's why we didn't bunk off school so much. It was boring. There was nothing on the telly. <laughs> and you had to stare at that young girl with the, with the chalkboard. Remember that? <laughs> and, and who remembers, you know, the white dot at the end of the evening? About 11 o'clock, I think it was. It go off. And why did we sit there and watch that? It's gone. The program's gone. We think, let's watch the white dot. Just do this. And you sit and they go, gone. Do you remember that? We did it, didn't we? But now, all these TV channels... We've got, we've got Sky, we go through, and we've got, I mean, you go on the God channel, I think, or whatever that is, number 850. I often get to it and I say to Andrew, there's nothing on. I've gone 849 channels, there's nothing on. It's ridiculous, there's so much choice. So many things to read, a whole world to take our holidays in, the world is a smaller place. Endless products and services competing for our attention and our money, activities filling our limited time. How do we cope? Well, we cope with that because we prioritise. I don't go and buy 20 different varieties of baked beans. I pick one. <laughs> I don't care all the different types of ketchup because we all know Heinz is best. <laughs> 57 varieties. So we have to make choices and for Christians our priority has to be the kingdom. It has to be the kingdom because God's kingdom goes on forever and we can be part of it now. How we live, how we spend our money, our time, our service, the kingdom must be our priority. Whatever success, whether it's business, life, medals, our overriding question must be, what am I doing for the kingdom of God in this? 
There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with making something of yourself. There's nothing wrong with studying for exams. There's nothing wrong with building your empire. But use it for the kingdom of God. We don't want a narrow view that says only full-time Christian workers can serve it fully. It really frustrates me when people say to me and probably some of the others, well, it's okay for you, you're paid to do this. You know, I have to say, I find it insulting. I would do it whether I was paid or not, and I have. I went four years by vocational, not because of that reason, but I like that I did it, because then I can say to people, I was a volunteer, and I know what it's like to work the hours and lead a church, and it was hard. But I like it because then I can identify with people. It's an army of volunteers, but realistically, whether you get paid or not, whether you're set aside or not to do it full-time or in your spare time, it's not about the money. We're doing it for God. And he's so much more important than any money. It's for God. I liked being a volunteer. It meant I could answer people, so now you feel I'm doing the same. But, but we need to bring God's standards to bear wherever he's called us, at home, in the office, or in the classroom, our character, the way we can be judgmental, all, all of it, we have a choice whether to serve the kingdom of God or not. And we're called to be counterculture, aren't we? Now, I've got a little pop quiz for you. No, I haven't. It's nothing to do with pop. It's, uh, but, I don't know, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's a little quiz. Um, so recently, we know, I know, I've got a lot of friends in the foreign exchange market. And um, a lot of them have lost their jobs because it's become computerised and everything else. But uh, we had the whole financial crisis, didn't we? And the foreign exchange stuff recently where they fixed the LIBOR rate and there was this collusion that's been going on. Um, but there's other things that have gone on as well. But if I said to you, um, what do you think? What are the words that come to mind if I said bankers or brokers? What would be the first words that come to mind? <laughs> Crooks? Crooks, rich, what else? Busy. Busy. Long hours. Pardon? Long hours. long hours, yeah. What else? Crooks, busy, long hours. Bonus. Bonus. <laughs> they don't get them no more, but they used to. What else? Porsche. Porsche. <laughs> I want someone, this is true. Someone said to me, Ian, what's better than a Porsche? I said, I don't know. He said, two. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit too much. Even I didn't like that. What else? Drugs. Drugs. Anything else? Mm. Okay. So with the exception of Patsy, which is somewhere in the middle, most of them are negative connotations. Right? It's either what they've got um, or the way they are and everything else. Now, that's fine because that's what's been in the news. Just want you to hold the thought though. When I moved, um, Andrea told, uh, knows this story. She should do. She was there. It was moving day. I didn't do it on my own. We moved into the manse in stock, and um, uh, we had the removal men. Because we tried to move... Well, I moved once on my own when we got married and went to Upminster. I said, I'll just hire a van and move my stuff in a flat. And I said, I'll never do that again. It's too much like hard work. And as an ex-broker, we don't like that. <laughs> so so um, we had the removal men. And he came into the manse and you, as we were moving it. And this is the first five minutes. So I'm all happy about the new ministry. It's going to be great and everything else. And the bloke came in, who in, in fact was the boss. And he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a Baptist minister. He said, oh, you're a kiddie fiddler. That's what he said. That's a bit judgmental, isn't it? Because he's tarring what he's seen in the papers. He's tarring everyone with the same brush. 
much like some of you just did with breakers and brokers, because you only hear the bad stuff. But he made a judgment. And when we look at the Bible, and I'm doing this to really make a point, not to condemn you, when we look at what we just thought, how many of you this week have prayed for a banker or a broker? Good. Doesn't the Bible say to us to be less judgmental, pray for our enemies if you think of them that way? Um, How are we doing with that? It's tough, isn't it? You know, when we pray for things, it's interesting in our prayer time, and I'm as guilty as anybody, none of the prayers asked for tonight was to pray for an enemy. Yet Jesus tells us to do it. So the question is, are we stereotyping? And say that because we hear some of the bad stories, we just, even as Christians, say, well, that's what they're all like. Do we make our judgment? I used to work with a man called Simon Halliday. Anyone a rugby fan? Remember Simon Halliday in the early 90s who was part of the World Cup England team? Um, pardon? Well, England, we nearly won it. We nearly won it. I don't know how to answer that. Anyway, he was part of the World Cup team and he, he was best mates with Will Carlin. They used to share a room together. And Will, he, Simon ended up as a broker. Uh, and I worked with him for two years, uh, from 1998 to 2000. And Will Carlin, and I, I, you know, bless him, but he's not the best-looking bloke in the world, and he used to come up to the dean room, and the girls would fawn over him. I mean, honestly, he had this sort of presence about him. He used to give us the right time. Anyway, fast forward ten years, and Simon Halliday's now at Lehman Brothers. This is true. This is a true story. On the day that Lehman Brothers went bust, He's standing in the dining room with his cardboard box that they gave you, because you had to get out there straight away. He had no job. The shares that he thought he was going to have for the rest of his life are now worthless. The long hours he sacrificed mean nothing now. It's all gone, and that can happen. His marriage broke down due to the pressure, but on the day that he left the dining floor, he went on to oversee a rugby match and a charity event that he organised, and at the end of the day, he raised over £1 million. None of us have ever, I don't think, have ever raised that kind of money. But you won't hear that story in the paper. And I went to many charity things in the city. Well, there's a JP Morgan. Uh, Again, another true story. Uh, This was reported in uh, Financial News Week about four years ago. And the brokers, um, and part of this is a PR thing. I accept that. Uh, But at least they're doing it. They'll They'll give you a certain amount of days off to work in the community. Um, and you do that. And I've done that at my past job. I've helped make some of those poppies at uh, Tower, Tower uh, Bridge. Um, this J.P. Morgan guy was brilliant at maths and physics. Um, very, very good. And, um, and so what he did, uh, part of his J.P. Morgan get out in the community for, an, for a week a year, was to go and teach underprivileged kids in the East End. And after the programme finished, he was so touched by the children that he spent his own money and carried on. He used to take time off work. And many of those kids testified to what a difference he made to their lives. His last lesson, he walked into the classroom, this is a true story, with his drip, holding his drip, and he wanted to teach him one last time. The classroom were in tears, he made such a difference, and he died at the age of 32 the next day. Should we call him a crook? Or a fraud? You know, there's a lot of good people around, but we make the judgment. It's very easy to believe the press. Now, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of people who are culpable and actually should be in jail that are not. But there's a lot of good stories as well. So why do we think we can be judgmental? 
There's loads of other stories I could tell you. And of course there's bad apples as well and they should have been held to account. You can apply this, this is my story, you can apply this to probably any area of your work in life or whatever it is, it's just my background. I'm just trying to illustrate tonight how quickly we can shift to what we're called to be when we read the Bible and say, I want to be like that, I want to put these words into action, yet straight away we can jump over the other side and make a judgment when we don't know the facts. Luke 8.10 says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. Jesus sits on this mountainside and teaches us. So why, why do we feel we can condemn? We're the church of Christ. The kingdom of God has been shown to us and there's more of it. And we should honour that and use it for the greater good. Making the kingdom our priority at all times means being open to God as the king of our lives. To use us wherever he puts us. Whether you're a removal man or a broker. Or a bus conductor. Do I have them anymore? You know, a bus driver, or tube driver, or a youth worker, or, sorry, a youth work director, or a minister, or whatever you do, a teacher. You all have spheres of influence. Yet we can, we can have the chance to maybe not live out the Christian life as much as we could. We shouldn't be condemning. Kingdom is our priority. Everything else is going to fade away but the kingdom of God will last forever. And all those bits of love and of grace and of mercy and forgiveness and pray for the enemies, less judgmental, more loving, will make a difference for the kingdom of God. Secondly, we've got the power. For yours is the kingdom. The power. Power gives us strength for our lives. If I think I'm doing it in my own strength, I feel I'm lacking any kind of power. A reminder, this is, that everything we do is in God's strength. It doesn't mean we say, Lord, look what I've done for you. Aren't you lucky you've got me? God isn't in our debt. I'm in his debt. All we do for the kingdom of God is his strength. But it's a great encouragement that as we live out our lives, the same strength that keeps the universe going. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. That same strength is available to us. Ephesians 3.20 Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. By his mighty, mighty power at work within us his mighty power is at work within you. If only we knew it more or, or exercised it more. That power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within me and within you. And we have a chance to share that and show people the kingdom of God. Your will be done as earth as it is in heaven. Power to bless. Power to encourage. Power to sow seeds of love. Power to equip. Power to send. Power to be the person people want to bump into rather than someone they want to cross the road if they see me. And as we allow this, the Spirit of God, he works for us. It's a blessing to you as you do this. It's amazing. It's fantastic as we allow God to work. How are we using that power? How bold are we? Yeah, we've got the God of the... Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. He says the kingdom of God is within you. Ah, you're right. I think I'll just park it over there. I'm going to stay as I am. I'm not going to change. I have my own opinions, my own judgments and I don't dare call on your power in case I get it wrong. Mine, my, for me, it's different for everybody. Mine, you can disagree, I feel called to preach. That's what I feel called to do. I feel it when I preach. I get passionate. I get wound up. I speak too fast. People tell me on the door. I'm passionate about the church and what she could be. But I get more passionate about what we should be. Because we see glimpses. But let's pray. The difference a local church can make 
the difference we can make. We are making a difference, but so much more. So much more. The church, look at the church, the biggest employer of youth workers and youth work directors in the country. I think it's the biggest movement for young people's clubs. I've, I've tried to check that fact, but I think for the baby groups, it mo- a massive amount in churches. Feeding programs, we don't see much of it here, but in some of the places that are really struggling, it's the churches leading the way, not only churches, clothing programs, life-changing messages that need to be spread. Schools. You know, Gary's looking at saying that we, we might be having a look at the Frinton thing where you've got kids that can be excluded, they've got nowhere to go and getting specialist help. Uh, unbelievable what the church does. We could do more though. That power that God uses to raise Christ from the dead, he says, I'll give to you. And, and it's not, we can't heal, we can't deliver. Um, he can. And we call on his name. You know, we aren't coming in the name of Ian. I come in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ. That name that we sang was above all names, all names, all names. I went to uh, India. Uh, many of you know that years ago, and I was just staggered uh, how God is used. I wish it was more here, but I've got to tell you, they pray for more. They just pray for more, and they're expectant. You know, I'm not saying we can do the same thing culturally. There's an issue, but, you know, you'd say at the end, I preach. I mean, I remember going there, and I'd five, with five minutes to go, they said, oh, yeah, you're preaching. I didn't know. I went, oh, really? Yeah, we, we, I said, well, I haven't prepared. He goes, that's brilliant. The Holy Spirit has. Now, I don't recommend that, because uh, I think the Holy Spirit's in our preparation, but it made me preach on my toes, and uh, God used it. I think it was a pretty lousy sermon. Um, God used it, and at the end, I said, well, through the translator, I said, if anyone wants prayer, you know, come forward. Now, when we say that here, um, you know, we might have a couple of minutes of awkward silence and some might come up. But there, the whole, all of them got up. And they formed, and the men and women were seated separately because culturally that was done thing. And there were four of us and we had to form lines and prayed for them. Now, if all of them were telling the truth, they all got healed. Now, I'm sceptical. But some of them were, you, you know, you couldn't doubt. I saw people limping. Unless he's putting on the limp, he went away not limping. We saw one man get his sight back. I mean, it's hard now for me to even believe that, but I was there. And the pastor had so much faith that as we prayed for him, uh, we, uh, he, he said, he said um, uh, the, the minister's translator said, he said, he's got it back a little bit. I said, excellent, praise the Lord, and you know, send him away. Uh, he said, no, no, and he said, and he said, come back. It's not enough, you're not healed yet. I mean, how confident is that? The guy got his sight back in front of me. You know, I wish we see. I wish we. And, it, and his son, I was preaching one night, and he said, "Oh, uh, after I preached, I uh, was just about to do the prayers again." But the prayers used to take about two hours, and we had to get to another village. It, it went on and on. And uh, he said, "Can you come pray for my son? He's got a really high fever." Uh, just before you do the prayer meeting, I said, "Okay." So we went behind. And there were curtains there, fine. It was, in, it was sort of someone's big house, and we went behind. His son was, you know. Now me, I'm saying, "Yeah, have we got any anodin extras?" Because that's what I would do. I, you know, I do pray, trust me. Um, but I think, well, God uses all the medication as well. And of course he does. I accept that. But I haven't got it. They just didn't have it. So we, we laid hands on him and got the oil and did all the right things. And then we came out here and uh, we did all the prayers here. I went back. I said, how's he doing? He goes out the back playing football. And he wasn't surprised. He said, well, you prayed for him. 
And I, I wish we saw more of that, but we're not praying enough. We're not praying enough, and we don't, I don't think we believe enough in the power of God. He, I've seen him change lives. You've seen him change lives. And, and then we're surprised when it happens. You ever done that, prayed for someone? And then you're scared to ask them how they're doing because you think, oh, no, it's going to be embarrassing. And sometimes it is. But sometimes it's, oh, no, no, after you prayed for me, I was fine. You go, really? As if it shouldn't have happened. It doesn't happen all the time. The tragedies happen. But for goodness sake, the church has to rise up and start doing what it's been told to do. Preach, heal, deliver. Some people have got doctorates. I say, that's my PhD. Preach, heal, heal, deliver. I've got a BA as well. Do you know that? Born again. Born again. I've got both. I'm everything. It's great. So finally, the glory. The glory. The purpose of our lives. Yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory. The purpose of our lives is the glory. It reminds reminds us of the ultimate purpose of who we are and what we do. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is to be glorified in our thoughts, words, and actions. It's God who is to be praised, not us. When we took, when we took up these healing missions, uh, one, uh, one lady came in, um, and uh, she was one of many wives as this person, and he, he comes with her, and she's doubled over in pain, and uh, he, says, you need, he says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, and he's, you know, no injury, but I've been to all the uh, witch doctors, I've been to the other religions, none of them can help. And so we, and she's about 300 people, and he just walked up in the middle of it all. And so we prayed for her, and she stood up, and she said, praise Jesus Christ, so did he, and they both got converted that very moment. But you know what he said after? He said, oh, you're God. And we're saying, we're not God. He goes, yeah, you healed us. And no, we didn't. And we had to point, of course you point away from yourself. The glory goes to God. It's God who is to be praised, not us. And we live in a culture where people seek their own glory. It's a normal priority. And really, we need to get perspective. All the glory goes to God. It's the name of Jesus that's to be lifted up because he was the one lifted on the cross, not me. And so he needs to be lifted up. For his is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And it puts my life, past, present and future, into real, true perspective. I'm caught up in the kingdom of God. I will be forever. And in the meantime, I can spread bits of it right now. Fantastic. So Jesus is on this mountainside and he's teaching all this. The world is watching, his followers listening. And the question today is what his followers who have listened will do. Will we put his teaching into action? Will we be bold? Bold. Visit a friend of mine a few years back. He lives in Chigwell. He's a broker. You won't like him. <laughs> he said, stay at my house, bring Andrea. And I used to work with him years ago, back in, when was on the stock market floor, back in 1984. He said, I'm going to take you to Sheesh. You know what Sheesh is famous for in Chigwell? Its owner. You know whose owner is? Tottenham fan. Alan Sugar. There he is. He was actually there that night. He owns uh, Sheesh. I didn't speak to him. I prayed for him because the Bible says to pray for your enemies, but I didn't speak to him. Um, anyway, so we had this big night. We had this big night. My broker friend's down. We stay overnight. And in the daughter, sorry, in the daughter, uh, in the morning, his daughter was up early and she made us a drink, a hot drink. And, um, and I could, they weren't up. And he said, oh, make me a tea, make me a tea. And he makes the tea and the rest of it, and he stands on the side. He comes down, and then when he finally drank it, his face grimaced. And why did he grimace? Because the tea's gone a bit cold. But it's not gone cold, which might have been bearable. It was lukewarm. And we all know, don't we, the words of Jesus. He didn't like it. He spat it out. He said, that's disgusting. Why have you made me a lukewarm tea? He said, well, it was boiling. Uh, but you came down ten minutes later, and it's gone a bit lukewarm. 
So he's on the boil. And how many? How often have we been fired up, full of faith? We've seen miracles. We've seen him in this church, and then we lose it, and we've gone a bit lukewarm. We don't want that. Jesus said, Revelation three sixteen. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's not to condemn us. It's just saying that it's distasteful. We should be on fire. We've got yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We don't want lukewarm Christians. There's too many of them around. We need to get the kettle boiling and get hot burning with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to be preaching this in a few weeks when we get to the Effective Church series, but Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal. Never. There's too much at stake. There's just far too much at stake. Look at some of the things we prayed for tonight. You know, young girls, uh, people desperate about exams as if it's the end of the world if they don't pass them. You know, I was talking to a young girl today, absolutely bereft with worry for this week. I said, you know, it's not, it is not life or death. Uh, tomorrow will come. Don't we sing that? The sun comes up, there's a new day dawning. But they, you would think it is life or death for them. And, and of course, in some cases it is. But, so we should never be lacking in zeal. But instead, keep, it's positive, right? Never be lacking in zeal. I'm going to get in the sermon in two weeks, by the way. Um, but keep your spiritual fervour. Serve in the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Bless those who persecute you, brokers and bankers. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. We don't want to be lukewarm, do we? Of course we don't. It's distasteful. We want plenty of zeal and spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord who went up on a mountainside, taught them, and then later went up on a cross. So we need to bless others, yes? Amen, Ian. Can't get an amen. What does amen mean? So be it. You know, when you just said amen, you've just signed a contract with God. So go, his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Go and make a difference this week. Come on, let's make a commitment. We, we have so much to do. And recent events have just, it's broken our hearts in the office. You know, it, we get tearful um, because it's just such a waste of life. And people need to hear good news and they're valued and they were worth dying for. They're not to die. So let's go out and be a people of the kingdom of God. Should we do that? Brilliant. Let me pray for you. Lord, all the glory, honour and praise goes to you. But we thank you that you, you, you catch us up in this great mission of yours. And so often we don't get it right. But you bear with us because you love us, uh, because we're not perfect. But we're going to do our best. We want to say that. We say, Amen, Lord, and so be it. Help us to pray for the sick, to release the captives. Heard of a man tonight, Lord, who's struggling because he was bullied at school all those years ago. Set him free, we ask. Lord, for the things that are going on in our fellowship, can we see healings because we're desperate in prayer for them? Not just because we want to see them for the glory, but because we're desperate with you in prayer. Pray for our young children. Lord, as they go to these exams, can they go with confidence and self-worth and self-esteem? Fill them with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. We don't want to be lacking in zeal. We want to keep our spiritual service. We want to serve you. Not because we get paid to, because you're God. Send your spirit to us, Lord, we pray. Help us to be bold. In Jesus' name, amen.